Welcome to Dad's Pad Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip dads and their families with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our fathers across the globe. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to bring compassion and raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood. Now, Here's your host, Executive Director of Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell. Good evening and welcome to Dad's Pad Radio. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and I would like to wish you a Happy New Year as we start off 2018. Uh, We have so much stuff uh, waiting for you in this new year. Uh, We are at no shortage of news stories, um, commentary, and issues, and concerns, and so I'm sure we're going to have a jam-packed DASPAD radio throughout 2018. I have a special guest with me today. Um, Her name is Heather McDonald. Um, She is the Thomas W. Smith Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor of the City Journal. Um, She is also a recipient of the 2005 Bradley Prize. Um, Her work at the City Journal has covered a range of topics, including higher education, immigration, policing, homelessness, and homeless advocacy, criminal justice reform, and race relations. Her writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, New York Times, and a host of other um, newspapers around the country. Her newest book, The War on Cops, And in this book, she warns that the race-based attacks on the criminal justice system from the White House on down are eroding the authority of law and putting lives at risk. Thank you for joining us, Heather. Oh, Mr. Breswell, it's such an honor being with you. Thank you. You know, I first um, heard you on the conversations with Mark um, Boylan in an interview entitled Failure of Fatherhood um, on their First Takes podcast. And when I went to the website to listen to the podcast, I was struck by um, a line in their introduction for you, which said, America's high out of wedlock birth weight is at the heart of inner city violence. Walk me through a little bit on your thoughts with respect to that um, statement. Well, uh, Mr. Braswell, the people, the young kids who were involved in these just insane drive-by shootings are almost without exception the products of single-parent homes. You can go to the nation's prisons, and the people incarcerated there are overwhelmingly the product of single-parent homes. Now, as both of us know, there are many heroic single mothers who are trying to raise law-abiding self-disciplined males and are succeeding against the odds, but the odds are very much against them. Uh, If there's one thing that social science research is almost unequivocal about, it's that growing up without a father in the home puts that child at greater risk, much, much greater risk for a host of social pathologies the least of which, in my view, is poverty, but certainly it, it puts that child at risk for poverty. But more importantly, it puts the child at risk for failing in school, dropping out, truancy, and getting involved in crime. And you can talk to 
uh, some of these young juvenile delinquents themselves, and they are aware, Mm -hmm. uh, as I discuss in my book, of the fact that not having had a parent uh, is a is a real problem, Uh, and so unless we confront this overwhelming reality, uh, I think we're going to continue to experience the fallout of children who have not had a male role model, who have not learned how to control their impulses, defer gratification, not react with violence if they feel that they're disrespected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think that the breakdown of the family, particularly in the inner city, is, is simply a social catastrophe. Mm. You know, we've been doing this work now for in Fathers Incorporated for 14 years, um, and we've been able to see it from a bird's-eye view. Um, professionally and personally, I myself um, did not see my father or meet my father until I was 23 years old um, in Brooklyn, New York. So that individual that you described is me, and it is the countless individuals that we come in contact with, not only here in the city of Atlanta, but around the country and, in fact, around the world. But every time we try to have this conversation, there is such a struggle with one's belief, particularly in the social work field, that fatherlessness has anything to do with anything except for a man not wanting to live up to his responsibility. From your space, why do you think this conversation is such a hard conversation to have? Well, first of all, I have had your exact same experience. I've written on uh, the social service, you know, the nonprofit massive social service sector in New York City, and I have raised the issue of family formation. And you're absolutely right. You get a deaf ear. People are just shocked. It's as if they've never heard such a thing. It's absolutely remarkable, the divide. This is simply not discussed in social work schools. The reason, one, one very powerful reason, I think, is feminism, which is the one of the dominant ideologies in our culture, which is committed to the idea that so-called strong women can do it all. We, we see a uh, major effort to devalue males in our culture. We're living through that right now with this moral panic over uh, sexual harassment, some real, some, some imaginary. And... Uh, there's just a desire to, I think, feminize the culture and argue that males are not important. Now, added to uh, the the very, very powerful wallop uh, administered by feminism to the idea that we we should recognize the massive importance, absent you know strong reasons to the contrary, for a culture of marriage. Uh, it doesn't help now that we have the strong gay rights lobby. Now, I, you know, I, I, I believe in respecting all people, and I don't think that people should be discriminated against because of their sexual preferences. But it is simply an empirical fact that when I go to college campuses and speak about the need for fathers and the need for a marriage culture that boys grow up in, I am inevitably accused of homophobia Mm. because I'm seen as not valuing 
that lesbian couple mm -hmm. that is uh, through artificial insemination is is raising children. So mm -hmm. it it now becomes doubly politically incorrect mm -hmm. to uh, speak about the fact that on average males and females are different, mothers and fathers are different, each bring special uh, qualities and, and strengths to child rearing that are complementary, uh, and that, that just becomes something that may no longer be said. Yeah, you know, we do a, you know, what I've realized is this is such a complex conversation to be having in such a selfish time. I think one of the biggest issues that we have today is that for many of us, it has become about us. And we don't have the level of compassion that it takes to understand another's point of view. We do a class um, called Standing in the Gap, um, Single Mothers Raising Boys. And there's two things that I talk to moms about when we do this class. Because from my perspective, it's not only important that moms know what they know about raising children, but they also understand the importance of what dad brings to the floor on that. And so there's two things that I say to them. One is that you don't have the only perspective of being a single mom. I was a little boy who was raised up in a house with a single mom, and I saw things in my mom that she couldn't see in herself, and I saw it from the advantage point of being a little boy. And so I tell the story of how I listened to my mother being beat on the other side of the door by my stepfather and feeling helpless without the ability to do anything about that. That is a viewpoint and perspective of single motherhood that a mother can't bring to the table. The second thing I bring up to them is something that we must agree on in our workshops before we move forward. And it's a simple understanding. The simple understanding is this term single mom has become a power tool um, <laughs> to devalue men, um, to position yep. and to somewhat what I believe uh, unfairly give a false sense of empowerment um, yep. to moms. And I'm very literal in terminology in this way. And what I say to them is take this on just for a day and see how it fits. The term single mom does not denote parenting status, it denotes marital, marital status. And so if you agree with that, that that term does not mean um, parenting status, then you also have to agree with this term. For every single mom in this country, there's a single dad. Yes, absolutely. Right? And once you begin to start getting them to think differently about the terminology they use and the impact of the terminology that they use, in where they believe they are becoming empowered by using it, they begin to get a sense on how that could be detrimental, not only to their relationship with the fathers of their children, but to the children themselves. How do we begin to have a conversation where we can get sober-minded, logically-minded individuals at the table to have a conversation that could get us to a place where we can actually move the needle in this, in this space? Oh, man. Well, you know, you've, you've been grappling with this on a full-time basis. That's the hardest question because, uh, as you well know, and, and we've discussed this a little bit over the web before our, our conversation today, Mr. Braswell, this 
alarm about the breakdown of the family was sounded in 1965 by Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who warned that the growing out-of-wedlock birth rate among blacks would serve as a check on further civil rights progress. Mm-hmm. And he's absolutely right. I mean, that is, uh, I think, the the fact that you have 73% of, of children now being born out of wedlock in the black community is the most important determinant of the high crime rates and the academic failure that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Not again. Among everybody, there's, there's, there's kids that are doing great, that are succeeding, that are class valedictorians, but on average... Uh, it's it's not a, 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 a we're not talking about really wonderful achievements in social equality, but Daniel Patrick Moynihan back then when the, the out of wedlock birth rate for blacks was only about twenty five percent, and he said that was a catastrophe. What would he yes. have thought when it's now three <laughs> times that? But he was immediately denounced as a racist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's seen as somehow blaming the victim. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, one thing one can point out is that the groups that are the most successful today, above all Asians, that are whooping everybody else's ass when it comes to academic achievement, mm-hmm. uh, achievement, that they have the lowest rate of out-of-wedlock child-rearing, and the elites in this country... The white elites as well uh, are are marrying. You mm-hmm. know, they they live a set of bourgeois values that talks about deferred gratification, that talks about deferring child rearing until you are have a partner in mind that you want to settle down with and make a lifelong commitment to. They they live those values, but they're not willing to preach them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I. You know, occasionally we we have the celebrities that speak out about this. Mm-hmm. Um, listening to those children who say, "I, I needed a father," mm-hmm. uh, that that would help. Mm-hmm. But the cultural forces on the other side that are trying to basically disappear males from our world are very very powerful. Yeah. And 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 seem to only be getting more so. Yeah, you're listening to Dad's Pad Radio. I'm your host Kenneth Braswell. My guest today, Heather McDonald, her new book, um, "The War on Cops," and we're talking about um, the impact of fatherlessness um, on some of the social ills or many of the social ills that we're dealing with today in our country, um, and how that has impacted um, and and highlighted this issue of poverty, um, race, and gender. Um, I want to kind of slide over a little bit and really get more specific to your book, The War on Cops, and this violence piece, um, because that is a whole nother conversation when it comes to um, the fatherlessness piece um, and how do we um, govern ourselves in our community and how do we be better parents at keeping our children at least out of the pathway of all kinds of violence. We're now in a societal um, bubble uh, where this conversation of domestic violence and sexual assault, um, bullying, cyberbullying is at an all-time high. It just seems like people are finding any reason to oppress another person. And somehow 
Uh, my wife and I was having this conversation last night and I said to her, one of the biggest issues with the domestic violence conversation is a is a literal definition issue. And that is when you say the terms domestic violence, automatically that means male violence against women. And so when you say that, you can't have a full conversation because people's definition of the term is very narrow. Um, from your perspective and your book, when you wrote the book, what were you trying to get at? What were you trying to say? Well, what I was trying to say in my book is that the crusade that we've been living through for the last three or four years, the, the Black Lives Matter narrative that says that we're living through an epidemic of racially biased police shootings of black males, uh, that narrative is both wrong and dangerous. It is simply not borne out by the statistics that uh, black males are shot disproportionately when you could take their violent crime rates into account because it's, it's officers confronting violent armed and resisting suspects that is going to be the biggest determinant in officer own use of force. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, uh, black violent crime rates are just massively higher than any other group in this country. They're, blacks commit homicide at eight times the rate of whites and Hispanics combined and 11 times the rate of whites alone. That results in blacks dying of homicide at six times the rate of whites and Hispanics combined. That is the civil rights uh, violation that we should be concerned about. Mm -hmm. But as a result of this narrative that claims that policing is endemically racist, officers are backing off of the discretionary policing uh, that they don't have to do but that is pretty essential for bringing crime down. It's getting out of your car at 2 a.m. in the morning and, and asking questions of the guy hanging out on a known drug corner, hitching up his waistband as if he has a gun. The cops don't have to make that stop. Mm -hmm. They can drive on by and wait for the next robbery victim to call into 911 or the next shooting to be picked up by a, a shot spotter technology. Mm -hmm. uh, and when cops back off of that type of proactive policing, crime goes through the roof in high crime areas. For the last two years, there's been a 20% increase in the nation's homicide rate. The victims have been overwhelmingly black. Mm -hmm. There's been an additional 1,800 black males who have been murdered over the last two years compared to 2014, uh, nobody seems to pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I can tell you they're not being killed by the police. They're not being killed by whites. They're being killed by other blacks. Mm -hmm. So I, in this book, I try to give voice to the many, many, the thousands, if not millions, of law-abiding good residents, hard-working residents of high-crime areas who support the police, who want more uh, enforcement of low-level uh, public order laws against loitering, hanging out in huge corners on the streets fighting, which is what happens with the youth in, in, in these high-crime areas, the drug dealing, the, the smoking weed in, in your one's lobby or, or corridor in their apartment building. And 
that the Black Lives Matter narrative has simply silenced those people and, and made their lives harder. Yeah, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about the conversation that I'm living with respect to responsible fatherhood, your conversation now around um, policing and law enforcement in this um, society and Michelle Alexander's book around the um, impact of mass incarceration. It just seems like that there's a theme that runs straight from my conversation through your conversation right into her conversation. Um, and in this space right now of racial tension that we are experiencing around the country um, that is so much politicized, um, do you believe that we can have a intelligent conversation around coming up with solutions to deal with this in this space? Well, uh, short of, of kids being raised by parents that are able to give them uh, self-control so they don't pull out a gun if, if they're fighting over a, a girl, um, policing is the second best solution to bringing safety. Uh, I think it helps for all President Obama's strengths. It was not helpful that he uh, gave an, a, a megaphone to the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and, and, and validated it. For all President Trump's many faults and, and egregious character failings, it is helpful not to have somebody in the White House uh, who is amplifying this, this phony idea that the criminal justice system is, is systemically racist. I, I take strong objection to Michelle Alexander's story, and it has been completely rebutted by two recent books mm -hmm. by black academics, uh, one by Michael Fortner, uh, the other by uh, James Foreman, who show that the uh, increased drug enforcement happened at the behest mm -hmm. of law-abiding black residents and their political leaders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can. I think it's important to change the public narrative and understanding about policing, and we're certainly better positioned to do so now. Uh, than we were in the Obama uh, years. Yeah, when you, um, I, I, I'm interested in in your comment to this, Heather. When you, when you, based on what you just said, um, you know, oftentimes when we hear these conversations, there is always a difference of opinion that is generated by a lens through which one is looking through. Which is the lens that you believe is creating the most uncommonality in terms of how we see these issues in our country? Is it race or politics? Wow. Well, I mean, race has become politicized. I think, you know, we have identity politics, which argues that these, I think, trivial aspects of the self, whether it's one's sex or one's gender, uh, or, or rather one's race, are the most important aspect of the self. Mm -hmm. And people are, are wielding their race as a weapon of, of alleged victim victimhood to try and silence others. Um, so I guess if forced to choose, I would say at this point in time, uh, race and other identity aspects like sex are the driving 
force in our politics. Mm. And you know, there, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm like, wow, this is stimulating so many other conversations that I want to, at some point, I'm going to have to call you back on, Heather, where your time allows you to come back on to help me drill down. I love having conversations with folks who somewhat, who are thinking about this stuff intelligently, um, trying to strip apart all of the, the, the mess that's in the middle, pull apart the threads. And have honest conversation because I believe that we don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree um, as long as we have the same goal in mind. And that is, what are we really trying to do? We're trying to create a world that our children are going to be successful in. Um, they're going to live out their dreams. They're going to play out their destinies. And all of those kinds of things that we all as parents want for our children. But we kind of have to navigate this stuff in the middle in order to clear a pathway for them to do it. Um, Heather, we're at our end of our time. Is there any lasting comments you want to give before we shut it down? Uh, no, Mr. Braswell. I just congratulate you on your work and for keeping such a rational dialogue going about what I think both of us agree is, is the biggest uh, tra most tragic social problem problem of our time, and so I, I wish you uh, an ever-growing audience to hear your important message. Thank you so much. You're listening to Dad's Pad Radio on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Today, we spoke with Heather McDonald. She is the author of The War on Cops. Um, you can find her at the City Journal, and I'm sure by Googling her all over the Internet, um, I think that she is a um, woman of honor and someone who is has a heart um, for this country and a heart for um, those of us who live in this country. And I think her voice is much, much worth um, being heard and should be heard. And we're going to do what we can do here in this space um, to give her voice a space to have this conversation amongst the diversity of conversations that are taking place in the world. Until next week, God bless and see you then. Take care. You've been listening to Dad's Pad Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring dads the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at fathersincorporated.com. On Twitter, at Fathers Incorp, that's F-A-T-H-E-R-S, I-N-C-O-R-P and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself or you might find yourself by yourself. Always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. Lastly, it's nice to be important but much more important to be nice. Until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.